This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Many of us remember the image of the Pope in a puffy coat that went viral last year. That image of Pope Francis strutting the street in a chic white coat wasn't real. It was generated by artificial intelligence, but it was extremely convincing. You could argue that an image like that is pretty harmless. But what happens when less harmless fake images, videos, or audio are circulated online? AI-generated content can pose serious risks to individuals, governments, and even financial markets. In October of 2023, President Biden invoked emergency federal powers to assert oversight of powerful new artificial intelligence systems, one piece of a new executive order aimed at reining in AI risks. Everything in cybersecurity is mitigation. If you want to posit some phenomenally complex time travel space aliens conspiracy, yeah, I I can't help you. But I can help lots and lots of people who are reasonable and, and, and are just being fed lots of lies, and we can pull them out of that echo chamber. That's Hani Farid, professor of computer science at the School of Information at University of California, Berkeley. He's been thinking about fake images for over two decades and does research on digital forensics, misinformation, image analysis, and human perception. And he says part of managing AI risks means giving people the tools to determine which images are real or fake. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Charlotte Gartenberg. Today, we're bringing you Alex Osla's conversation with Hani Farid about how easy it is to create convincing AI-generated content and why that's a problem. Plus, Farid tells Alex about the Content Authenticity Initiative, a global coalition of 2,000 members from tech, policy, and media, including the Wall Street Journal. Farid works for it as a paid advisor. Hear how companies are working together to combine technology with media literacy to help us spot the fakes. Stay with us. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Before Alex and Hani got to the stakes of identifying deepfakes, she asked him about his early experiences with AI-generated images and how his interest in deepfakes began. I have been thinking about manipulated media since 1997. In 97, film still dominated the landscape. Digital was a glimmer in our eye, and the internet was very much in its infancy. In the early noughts, we were thinking in my lab about how you can detect manipulated images. And then around 2015-16, something very dramatic happened, which is what we now call generative AI or deepfakes. And so that was about seven years ago I, I heard that term for the first time. And, you know, if you looked at the, the images and videos being created, 
they were terrible. They were like grayscale and tiny and super noisy. But if you watch the next generation and the next generation, which was happening on a month to month basis, you very quickly realize that this technology is getting better. Now the cadence can be measured in weeks, right? Every few weeks you see something dramatic. We went from these glitchy deep fakes from five, six, seven years ago to full-time, real-time, almost at frame rate, running on my laptop, superimposing somebody's face on mine at high res. That is incredible. Do you think a typical user can tell if an image is fake? No, I don't think the typical user can, can tell the difference, especially at the speed at which they're flicking their, their screen going through images. It's, it's hard. Look, I do this for a living, and it's hard. So are we at that sort of tipping point? We're there. I would say that we are passing through the uncanny valley. Mm. Um, it's not 100% perfect, but what you have to understand about fraud and disinformation is it, it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. It just has to be pretty good. And it's pretty good on the way to exceptional. Are we there for all forms of AI-generated content? Voice, still images, video, are those on different trajectories? Yes and no. So let me tell you where we are. Stable Diffusion, Midjourney, Dolly, images are incredibly good. Like the artifacts now are very, very minor. I think images are almost there. If we were having this conversation three months ago, I would say audio is years away and I would have been spectacularly wrong. Audio really caught up. And with audio, there's two things to think about. One is the naturalness. Does it sound like a human? And the other is identity preserving. So if I give it two minutes of audio of you, Alex, can it recreate your voice? And I would say that there are now a number of services out there that have essentially cracked that nut. It's a solved problem. And it's really, really good. Video is probably the one that is lagging. So if you look at the, the ChatGPT for text, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, and Dolly for images, Eleven Labs, Uber Duck, and a number of these for audio, those are all, just go to a website and use it, right? There is zero barrier to entry. But with video, you still need some skill. Like you got to go over to GitHub and download this repository and get it compiled and run it. And it takes a little bit of finessing. But that's a matter of months, you know, less than a year before somebody creates the website that says, okay, upload the video, upload the image, and I'll slap them together. Tell me what's unique about this moment. Is it the, the sheer pace of improvement of these algorithms or is it access? Um, it's both. And I would actually say there's a third component, which is I can also publish it to the world instantaneously. We can't separate out generative AI from good old fashioned social media. Right? If I had the ability to create a harmful or hateful audio of the president or non-consensual sexual imagery, all I could do is send it to my five friends. I, it's not great, but I can live with that. But the fact is I can carpet bomb the internet with it by posting it on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok. These things are really getting traction on some of these platforms. So I would say it's a confluence of all three of these things, underlying technology, ubiquity and access, and then the ability to distribute widely and effortlessly. What are the stakes here? So fraud, illegal activity, uh, disinformation campaigns. I can now create audios and videos of the president or presidential candidate saying anything I want them to say. And so now you're looking at threats to our individuals, to our societies, to our economies, and to our democracies. And that is with today's technology. And here's what you know about technology. It does what technology always does. It gets better, it gets faster, it gets cheaper, and it gets more ubiquitous. 
That's what technology has done, and it will continue to do. So this trend is going to continue. AI-generated imagery isn't going anywhere, but tech could help us separate what's real from what's deep fake. More on that after the break. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot. How are images like this actually made? Like what's going on on the back end? First of all, what you should understand about this AI revolution is I don't think it's an AI revolution. I think it's a data revolution. I think the reason you are seeing generative images and generative audio and video is because over the last 20 years, we, me, you, and everybody else has uploaded billions and billions of pieces of content that the machines are learning from. And I mention that because here's how the Pope and the Puffy Coat image was made. Midjourney Stable Diffusion Dolly, what they did is they went out and scraped billions of images that were annotated with text captions. Yeah, and that last part is really important. So now it has some 5 billion images. Yeah. And what it does is it takes an image with a caption. Uh, five people sitting at a bar in Napa Valley enjoying a nice Cabernet. Yeah, that's the caption. And it has an image associated with that. Then what it does is it takes the image. And it adds a little bit of noise to it, degrades the image, and then learns how to go backwards, how to, how to denoise it. And then it does that until it gets it right. And then it adds a little bit more noise and then goes back and a little bit more noise and goes back. And it keeps degrading the image until eventually it degrades it until it's completely unrecognizable. And it's learned how to then generate from a pure noise image, the image of five people sitting at a bar in Napa Valley enjoying a nice Cabernet. It basically is forcing itself to degrade and then clean the image. Degrade, clean, degrade, clean. It does this five billion times. Yeah? And then what it has is it knows how to go from a pure noise image with a caption to a clean image that depicts what the caption is. There, there are other techniques for doing other types of synthetic images, but that's the one that is particularly popular these days. I'm curious whether any of this stuff leaves a trace. Like when we're talking about software that can detect whether an image was generated by AI yeah. or not or just manipulated, like how yeah. do we know? So the short answer is that there is a really big difference between when I pick up my phone and take a photo and there's a complex three-dimensional scene with lighting and it goes through a lens and it goes through post-processing and eventually gets processed and delivered to me versus that diffusion process that I described to you earlier where it synthesizes whole cloth and image. And so we can also do what we would call ballistics, which is what architecture generated this. Now, this is an inherently adversarial system, understand. So that means I build a better detector you build a better attacker. I build a better detector. You build a better attacker. So that, that will be a bit of an arms race. But the way these techniques work is they learn characteristics, whether they are low-level statistical um, or, for example, we know that a lot of these diffusion-based images do really weird things with how they light the, the scene. The lighting is not particularly natural. Okay, so the way things are now, these tools, 
workish. What will it take for them to get a lot better? Okay, so there's some good news and bad news here. So the good news is we absolutely should keep developing these technologies and they will get better. Um, but the synthesis will get better too. And, and we will do what we always do in cybersecurity. Think spam, anti-spam, virus, antivirus. Everybody keeps getting better and you know, eventually you hit steady state. But here's the problem with these, what we call passive techniques. So this post hoc analysis, it's great. This is my bread and butter, understand. But it doesn't really deal with the non-consensual sexual imagery that is now has been carpet bombed on the internet. It doesn't deal with the manipulation of the market. It doesn't deal with fraud. I get a phone call. I've already transferred by Venmo $500. Fine. You figure out the audio is fake. It's too late. To really deal with this at the scale of the internet, billions and billions of uploads, we need different solutions. And this is where things like the content authenticity initiative come into play. Because here, instead of having this model of let anybody do what they want, upload something online, and then start scrambling to figure it out, the different model is, look, if you're in the business of generating content, whether it's synthetic or real, you are in the best position to tell me whether this is real or not. And so what the CAI does is it says, if you're in the business of synthesizing images, you should watermark and fingerprint every single piece of content. Um, devices themselves should watermark and fingerprint every single piece of content that they record. The synthesis engines are in the best place to tell me what's real and what's not. And if they watermark and fingerprint every single piece of content, which is a big if, by the way, well, then downstream, instantaneously, my browser will know. Because my browser can say, okay, I know what to look for embedded in the image that will tell me right away. And so I think a combination of these technologies are required. So tell me what this would, in its sort of ideal form, look like for the average internet user. What I would like to see, it, my ideal implementation is baked into the browser. Because if my browser was CAI compliant, it knew about these signatures, any image that loads into my browser... It'll just have that little, whatever, little logo over the image saying, this has been authenticated as a, as a human recorded image. This has been authenticated as a computer generated image. And it's, it's just baked into the browser. It actually has a ledger. It says, here's what happened. Hani imported this image. Uh, he modified this part of the image. Uh, and then he did this, 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 and this. You got to give people the information. But then we've got to other, do other things to make sure that they can incorporate that into the way they think about the world. Some people who talk about this issue say that media literacy is the solution to this problem. What do you think about that? I think we need it all. I think we need more responsibility from our technology leaders. I think we need good technology like we've been talking about. I think we need regulatory pressure, and I think we need media literacy. We need it all. There's no, there's no magic solution here. There's nothing in and of itself that sort of solves this dis and misinformation problem we've been dealing with for a few decades. I think we need lots and lots of solutions to this, and everything together starts to really chip away at the problem. It doesn't eliminate it, by the way. You have to understand everything in cybersecurity is mitigation. If you want to posit some phenomenally complex time travel space aliens conspiracy, yeah, I, I can't help you. But I can help lots and lots of people who are reasonable and, and, and are just being fed lots of lies, and we can pull them out of that echo chamber. What is this issue going to look like in 10 years? This problem doesn't stop. Right. This, this issue with manipulated media is only going to continue. And I think there's one of two scenarios. It's not even 10 years. It's three years, um, five years, is either we keep going down the road we're going, which is this dystopian hellscape of an Internet where everybody's living in their own echo chambers. And 
I don't think that's out of the question. I think if we don't get our act together, both from a technological perspective, an industry leadership perspective, and a regulatory perspective, we are going to keep making the same mistakes of the last 20 years, and it's going to make things worse. Um, I don't think it has to end up that way. I think there is a better scenario for us. And, I, and I'm not a techno-utopist. I don't believe that technology is inherently good and leads to good things all the time. But I do believe in the power of technology. And I think we have, we have not been leveraging this technology in a way that's necessarily good for the masses. So I think with the right regulatory pressure, with the right leadership, with the right technology, we can start to right the ship. Um, I think, though, if things go sideways, we are going to continue down this hellscape that is the, the current social media landscape that we're in. And I honestly, it's probably a coin flip right now, which way it goes. That was Hani Farid, professor of computer science at the School of Information at University of California, Berkeley. Want to learn more? Check out our episode, Real or AI? The Tech Giants Racing to Stop the Spread of Fake Images. That's in your feed. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. This episode was produced by Alex Osula and me, Charlotte Gartenberg. Thanks for listening. <laughs>